Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Back on our Luke series. Today we're going to dive into one of Jesus' most powerful parables found in Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. That is the parable of the rich fool. But before we begin, uh, let's just pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for today. I thank you for the word that um, you've given me for your people today. I pray, Lord, that I decrease and you increase, that your people have an ear to hear and heart to receive it, Father. I thank you, Lord, that whatever situations they're in right now, that they know that you are who you say you are. You're not a man that you should lie, and that they are that they can stand upon your word all the days of their lives. I thank you for what you're about to do today in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Wonderful. Thank you guys for participating. Um, Have you heard the one about the man who prayed, Lord, if you can't make my situation better, then at least make my enemy's situations worse. Yes, you know, you can know faith. But, but, but um, it's a funny way of looking at things, isn't it? It's, um, but sometimes it's so common for us to approach God uh, with our own agenda, much like the young man in the passage we're going to read today did. Uh, so let's just explore this parable together and see what Jesus has to say about our desires, our possessions, and most importantly, our hearts. So today's talk... I class as a medicinal sermon, right? For those of you that have been um, on this journey of faith for a long time, you know about these medicinal sermons. They're the ones that you really don't want to hear, but you know you need. So I'm just going to prepare you right now. This is my disclaimer. Please don't shoot the messenger. Just receive the message, okay? It's, It's one of those that as I was preparing, it cut me up. And I said, oh, Lord. I don't know how they're going to receive this one. But hey, you know, it is what it is. I have to be obedient. And um, praise the Lord, it will bless your lives today. So let's read uh, the, the verse. I just realized I didn't give you guys any slides. Um, make it up as we're going along, guys. Freestyle it, Brennan. You're good. You're good. Uh, the parable of the rich fool. This is Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. It reads, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. 
is deep, is a deep one. In this parable, Jesus addresses the danger of coveting and greed, using the rich fool as an example. The young man who uh, approached Jesus was more interested in his inheritance dispute than in truly understanding Jesus' teachings. Now, imagine you're up here preaching for the very first time, or you're preaching your best ever sermon that you've spent a whole week preparing on. And then some random at the back puts their hand up and says, "Uh, excuse me, I've got a beef with my brother here about some inheritance. Can you uh, get involved and let me know? You know, me personally, I'm not going to lie to you. This is where I call on Rob and Johnny and uh, I I ask them to basically kick these guys out and, uh, you know, use their athleticism and do whatever you have to do, but get them out of here because they're disturbing my flow. Jesus being Jesus, who's a better man than me, in all his infinite wisdom, seizes this opportunity to teach and warn this young man against covetousness and to emphasize that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So there's a true story that a mentor of mine recently told me of a man who wished that one day he'd become a millionaire. And as a youth worker, I talk to loads of kids and this generation that we work in, they all want to be millionaires. They want to be rich. And this young man wanted the same thing. He wanted to be a millionaire. So he worked really hard. He got into uh, invest- investments and VC and all of this stuff. And then he made his first million. And when he f- made his first million, he started hanging around in different circles. And in those circles, it turns out that he was the poorest one out of those millionaires. So he said, I need to work even harder to, become a, uh, to have hundreds of millions in my account. So he worked really hard for decades and decades, and he managed to have get with 200 million pounds in his bank account. He sadly died of a heart attack before he got to his 60th birthday. Now, sadly, this story is not uncommon in certain sectors of society. I have a lot of friends that are bankers, a lot of friends that are investment bankers, that are corporate lawyers, that are in these stressful situations, chasing more, chasing money, chasing money. And sadly, it has an adverse effect on their health. This young man that I'm speaking of, the reason he died of a heart attack was because he crossed something like four continents in 24 hours or something silly like that. And his body just couldn't take it. That man's insatiable desire for more leads us to our very first point, which is greed. Greed, it's not a, 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 it's not a nice word. It's not a word that we use very often in today's society, but it's an important one. Unlike the Apostle Paul who learned contentment, which we find in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, this man and the rich fool were never satisfied. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking. That's an extreme example. What's that got to do with me? I don't have 200 million in my account. I've just got 1.5. Okay, good for you. You're rich. But I find it really interesting how easy it is to get to a place where greed starts to sneak into our lives. And it it just creeps in really slyly. Now, don't throw stones at me. Like I said at the beginning, I'm just a messenger. And I'm talking to myself as well. You know, some women in my, in my household, they might say that I've got way too many trainers. Lou, mind your business, okay? We're all on a journey, okay? Don't judge me, okay? 
we all have things that we all like that we have too much of. And people give me trainers. What do you want me to do? Say no? No. And how many is too many anyway? Exactly. Exactly. Nobody knows, right? So we're all on a journey. But seriously, we live in a society where we are constantly bombarded with stuff, right? Just a load of stuff. People are selling us stuff. They're throwing stuff at us. And you, you begin to feel like, I can't say no to this stuff. So you start taking stuff. But I felt such conviction when preparing for this talk as I really had to ask myself, why? Like, why do I need or want more of a particular thing? Does it draw me closer to God? Or does it direct me from Him? Well, you know, I don't know about you, but we, most people all have family members that are hoarders. Yeah? There's someone in your family that likes to hoard. Hey, listen. <laughs> if, if Holy Spirit is talking to you right now and you feel guilty, that's your business. I'm not... I'm not pointing the finger at anybody, but we all have that family member that hoards. My uh, mother is one of these people, and I can talk about her because she's not here. And if she listens to this, I love you, mom. But she's a, she's a, a professional hoarder. She buys stuff because, in her words, you never know when uh, I might need it. And I'm like, that's really that's a bad way of living. And, uh, but, but I'll give you an example. We were having a party. We needed some wine glasses. She had 100 wine glasses readily available. Who does that? Right? It gets worse. She married someone who's an even worse hoarder. So during COVID, do you remember there was a toilet roll crisis? You remember that? I remember watching the news going, who, who would do that? Who does that? Why would you just go out and buy like hundreds of toilet roll? Like of, of, the, of all the things that you could buy, toilet roll. Then I went to my dad's house. And I went to what used to be my room, but turned out to be the toilet roll storage room. And there's these hundreds of toilet rolls, hundreds of them. And I said, why? Why? There's only two of you that live here. And he goes, you never know. COVID. I said, okay, dad, this is a, this is a serious problem. But we all have these people, you know, and, um, and I just, I, I pray, my prayer is that uh, God delivers them from this spirit of hoarding and that it's, we bind that spirit and we cut that generational curse off right now in Jesus' name. And um, I've recently come back from Ghana and Ghana was, was an amazing trip. It was an absolute vibe and I thoroughly recommend it to anybody who's never been. Please go. You will love it. The people are super friendly. Uh, it's so peaceful. You know, I've been to a lot of countries where sometimes I just don't feel safe. I'm walking around and, and you know, you can feel it. You're like, mm, I don't really feel safe. Ghana, I just felt safe the whole time. I remember I was walking down a street and these street kids just ran up to me. In any other country, I'm on guard. I'm from South London. I don't like it. So I'm like trying to run away, trying to move away. Whereas these kids were super friendly. Yes, they wanted money from me, but they weren't too aggressive about it. And then when I gave them, like, I gave them five pounds, which turns out to be quite a significant amount, which I didn't realize. But I gave them five pounds. They split it amongst 12 of them. And then I had a, a fully-fledged bodyguard, walking bodyguard with me the whole time I was in Ghana. It was brilliant. Um, and, but they were just so, they're such a peaceful, peaceful people. And while we were there, we visited loads of schools, loads of communities. And we were lucky enough 
to um, have lunch with a family. And what struck me was how grateful they were for simply living, for simply having a roof over their head, uh, for having their family around them in good health. And I was just... I, I was just really moved by how content they were with life and how much they enjoyed life, even though they didn't have all the material things that, you know, we might have in the West. And the peace that I saw on them and on their countenance was something that I didn't easily recognize when I came back to England. You know, greed is a trap. It's a trap that blinds us to the true riches that are found in a relationship with God. And those true riches are spiritual fulfillment, wisdom, guidance, peace, unconditional love, community, purpose, you know, hope, transformational growth. These are the true riches that, that, that can be found in a relationship with God. In contrast to the teachings of Jesus, who calls us to love our neighbors and be generous with what we have. The rich fool's selfishness is evident in his refusal to share his abundance with others. One thing I learned when I was preparing for this sermon was that greed begets selfishness. And the danger of selfishness is that it isolates us from the needs of others and hinders us from living a rich Life in compassion and kindness. We're living in times right now where we could do with more compassion. Amen? You can talk back to me, guys. It's all right. Amen. Thank you, Rob. We live in a time where, you know, we could do with more compassion. At the beginning of this year, I had a full team meeting at work. And for those of you that don't know, I run a youth charity called Big Kid. And in that meeting, the word for the day, or the word for, the, for our year was kindness. I said to the team, we need to lead with kindness. Everything we do, let's lead with kindness. Let's think about it from a stance of kindness. How can we be more kind to our beneficiaries, to our colleagues, to each other? And most importantly, to ourselves. But not only are we kind to ourselves, but we shouldn't be kind to ourselves from a point of selfishness, but from a point of grace and mercy, so that we're able to share that same or give that same grace and mercy that the Lord gives us to those around us. And leading from a point of kindness is tough. For, for, has anyone in here done youth work before? Anybody? It's not easy. It's not easy. Young people push you. You know, they, they push every button uh, uh, conceivable. And knowing that you are doing them a favor, you know, I'm volunteering my time to help you. And now you're going to try and push me. First of all, you're not my child, so I don't have that grace. Okay. Uh, and even with your own children, sometimes. Yeah, for those that have children, you know, for those that are going to have children, you're going to find out. God bless you. But, but it is... It is, you know, leading from a point of kindness is something that we have to intentionally do every single day of our lives. And in doing so, we're able to see 
the love, the grace, the mercy of God on our lives. And we're able to replicate that with people around us. Let's quickly look at the false senses that the rich fool exhibits that were caused by his selfishness. He has a false sense of purpose, a false sense of time, a false sense of control, which ultimately leads to a false sense of wisdom. His focus on accumulating wealth and pleasure blinds him to the true purpose of life, the brevity of time, and the true value found in a relationship with God. Mark chapter 8 verse 36 says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the world and lose his own soul? Well, this rich man in Luke chapter 12 had just one day to live. This is shown in verse 20, where God tells him, This very night your life will be demanded from you. When I first read that scripture, it kind of, it read almost like a, um, like a Nollywood movie. I, I mentioned this last time. Anyone here watch Nollywood? No? You should watch it. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. They have weird stories and it's like terrible editing. But you know what? The stories behind it are great. Yes, it's terrible. Don't look at me like that, Tunde. It's awful. Okay? It's, um, it's, it, I, I don't like Nollywood that much, but it's got great lessons in there. Every time I go to my parents' house, that's what they're watching. It's Nollywood and it used to be Fox News till that went off. Now it's CNN. I don't know what that says about my parents, but, um, but yeah, please pray for them. They, they, they need prayer. So God tells him that this very night, your life will be demanded from you. And what does he do? He spends those final hours of his life grasping the things of this world and not looking up to God. You know, he was thinking of gold and not thinking of God. He was thinking of pleasure and instead of people. He was thinking of ease instead of eternity. So here's a deep question for you. If you knew that you had only one day to live, what would you do? This is one of those sailor moments. I remember being in Bible school and, and the teacher would be like, what would you do if this was the last day? Sailor. And I'm like, I don't think, I don't, I don't, I don't think about it. It's too deep. It's too deep. I'm too young. But this is a good question to really ponder on. What would you do if this was your last day? I know for sure a lot of people would want to be sure of their salvation. They'd want to be sure about where they're going, what happens next. John chapter 5 verse 24 reads, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John 14, verse 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but through me. My hope is that we reflect on how the warning in the parable of the rich fool applies to our lives. We should ask ourselves these questions. Are we accumulating possessions and pursuing pleasure at the expense of being rich toward God? Are we guarding our hearts against the dangers of covetousness and greed? Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting stuff. There's nothing wrong with wanting nice things. There's nothing wrong with wanting a, a big house. 
But you need to ask yourself the question when you want all this stuff. Why do I want all this stuff? By having all of this stuff, does it draw me closer to God? Or does it distract me from God? Do you want a big house because you want to bring people into the kingdom? You want to host people and share the love of God? Or do you want a big house because you want to go on Instagram and show that you're flossing? No? No. Wrong crowd. Okay. That's when I do youth work. But, but it's the same thing. It's the thing. You know, why do you want it? What is it going to do? How does it draw you closer to God? Let's learn from the mistakes of the rich fool and seek true wisdom that comes from living a God-centered life. A God-centered life. And, and we throw that term around, God-centered. What does that mean? God is at the center of every decision you're making. God is at the center of why you exist. God is at the center of why you do the job that you do. God is at the center of why you are deciding to come to church on a Sunday why you're inviting someone to come to church on a Sunday, why you're taking up this course. As we come into land, I want to tell you about Andrew Carnegie. Come on, Tom. You're good. So Andrew Carnegie was around between 1835 and 1919. This guy was a Scottish-American industrialist. So Carnegie devoted much of his wealth to philanthropy, funding the construction of libraries, schools, and various educational institutions. His famous quote, the man who dies rich dies disgraced, reflects his belief in using wealth for the betterment of society. The man who dies rich dies disgraced. There are many other examples of people who, despite having material wealth, found true richness by investing in God's kingdom and the well-being of others. It serves as a reminder that the high cost of coveting is too steep compared to the immeasurable treasures found in a life aligned with God's purpose. Can I just ask you to stand to your feet as we go into a short time of prayer. It wasn't that bad, was it? I kept it short so that you guys could swallow the medicine better. All right, let's pray. If you feel today's message resonated with you and you're not sure what would happen to you if today was your last day on earth well the Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior you'll be saved what does this mean that means if you do that today and today was your last day on earth tomorrow would be your first day in heaven so I'd like to give everyone in the room the opportunity to say a short prayer that does just that you can repeat after me where you stand God hears you and he'll respond to you where you are right now say this dear Lord Jesus 
come into my heart. Come into my life. I confess with my mouth and believe with my heart that you died for my sins and rose again. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wisdom found in your word. Help us, Lord, to guard our hearts against covetousness and greed. And may we find true richness in being generous, compassionate, and rich towards you. Guide us to live purposefully, recognizing the brevity of time and the external value of a relationship with you. As we leave today, Lord, we commit to examining our hearts, aligning our desires with yours, and living a life that reflects the true richness found in your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for your peace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. I plead the blood of Jesus over everyone today. And I just thank you, Father, for the anointing that's in this place right now. I plead, Holy Spirit, that you start to work, do a work on the inside of them. Father, as we read about this, the young man in the parable and the rich fool, and we know that this young man was dealing with a societal issue when the problem was actually a heart issue. Father, we pray that you work on our hearts, that our hearts may draw closer to you, that as we run towards you, Father, you run towards us. We open ourselves up right now, Father, to receive from you, to receive your love, to receive your peace, to receive your healing. We glorify you, we praise you, and we thank you always. In Jesus' name, amen.